when I published Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, I was four years sober and obviously now I'm um, just about to turn eight and I have written about the last four years when I really thought that I'd learned everything I was going to learn in the first four years, but that was nonsense. <laughs> um, there's been so much deeper work in the past four years, um, which on things that have, have on the surface of it, nothing to do with alcohol, mm. and yet they do in a twisty, turny kind of way. Hi, my name is Andy Ramage. Welcome to my podcast, where I attempt to share the story behind the story of thought leaders, authors, athletes, everyday heroes and alcohol-free adventurers who have found meaning and purpose through their work, while also sharing some of their greatest wisdom. Let's do this. I'm super excited to share this one with you with the wonderful Catherine Gray, author of one of my all-time favorite books, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Like, forget Quitlet, this is just a cracking read. And Catherine and I have known each other for a long while now because actually our stories sort of unfold on a similar timeline. We're both about close to eight years alcohol-free. We both launched our first book on the same day, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober and the 28-Day Alcohol-Free Challenge. We met on the BBC breakfast sofa with Naga Munchetti to talk about those books. And that's where we first got to know each other. And Catherine's just gone off into the sort of sober stratosphere as it were. It was an absolute knockout bestseller, her first book. And since then, she's written another few books, The Unexpected Joy of Being Single, of Being Ordinary, and then her latest book, Sunshine Warm Sober. She's coming back to her roots as what it's like to be on that longer alcohol-free adventure, sharing many insights and wisdom. And we laugh, we joke, there's intrigue in there. We talk about all things alcohol-free. I think you're going to love this one. Kick back and enjoy the ride. Now, before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Yes, we have a sponsor out the traps for the podcast and not just any sponsor. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive daily nutritional drink I've ever tried. And it was really important to me to align with a sponsor that were aligned with my values and a product that I actually used and genuinely have been using Athletic Greens for several years now. And I got into it when I first started to transition my diet from a very poor one to an optimal one. And it was listening to podcasts such as the Rich Roll podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast, and later Wrong and Chatterjee's podcast, who are all partners with Athletic Greens. I thought, I've got to give this stuff a try. And it has been a game changer for me. My morning routine, as many of you will know, looks like this. I walk downstairs, fill up a large glass of water, drink it, fill up half full another glass of water, pour in a scoop of Athletic Greens, fill it up to the top, drink that I'm on the bike. Now, I know I might have freaked lots of Athletic Green users out who might be like, you can't put the Athletic Green scoop in the middle. It has to go in at the start or at the end. But that's the way I like to use it. And it's like my nutritional insurance because even with an optimal diet like I have now, life gets in the way. Stresses, lack of time, travel, all of those things are there to trip us up. But I know if I've had my Athletic Greens in the morning, I'm like, job done. And here's the thing, it is packed. Let me give you some of like the science and what's actually going on inside this drink. Each scoop's got around 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, multivitamins, multiminerals, probiotics, green superfood blends, and so much more. It basically fills all those nutritional gaps. That's why I use it. And this is where it gets interesting for you guys. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system, so they're offering my listeners a free, F-R-E-E, one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Basically, you'll never have to buy vitamin D again. Right, so whether you're looking for peak performance, you're trying to just level up in your life, you're trying to fill those nutritional gaps, you're an alcohol-free adventurer trying to replenish your body, right, this is the drink for you. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage, right? And join the alcohol-free adventurers, athletes, health-conscious go-getters from around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Can
can you hear that? Do, do you hear that when it says yeah. recording in progress? It that's says a new recording thing, isn't in it? progress. Yeah. yeah that, that, I guess that's <laughs> to stop people stealth recording things, isn't it? That, yeah. <laughs> like you have to make it really like obvious because it didn't used to do that. You could just sort of press record and it, now yeah. you get this, this sort of like slightly alarming American lady saying <laughs> recordings in progress. <laughs> yeah. She sounds automated as well. She doesn't sound real. No, I'm, yeah, she'd be a busy lady if she was sitting on every Zoom just waiting for these <laughs> to start. Oh, there's another one, quick. Recording's in progress. Oh, this one. I just imagine that would be some, that'd be some job. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's do this, right? This is fab because it's been, I looked, actually I Googled it and we last did a podcast together on the One In No Beer podcast about three and a half years ago. Wow, really? Which actually doesn't feel like that long ago. It feels like it, it should doesn't. be way longer than that. It should feels like it should be like seven years ago when we first sort of took a break from alcohol. But actually, it was only three and a half years ago. But when I Googled that, something interesting came up. And it was that clip of us on when we first met, which was on the BBC breakfast on, on the couch, as it were, on the oh sofa. Oh, my God, is that online? I didn't yeah, know. I, mean, I think it was on Ruri's account, to be fair. So Ruri must have saved it off and shared it somewhere. But what I loved about that, because that was me totally out of my comfort zone, like, you know, being sort of more introverted. And it was the first thing that I'd ever done that was remotely, you know, on, on, a, on a bigger stage in terms of viewers and whatnot. And then you're going to make up and do all that sort of stuff. And I remember being sort of petrified. I was bricking it, for want of a better word. <laughs> And then you came into the room and you looked about 10 times more scared than me. And I was like, <laughs> this is perfect. Oh, 100%. That was the scariest day of my life. Um, yeah, like an introvert placed on national TV, as you know, it's just so terrifying. Um, but I think we did all right in the end. We, we did. You I know, looked at it. Rosamund Dean was on the sofa with us, the lovely Rosamund Dean. I think we all did a good job. But what I remember, because I think your book, and it, it is stunning, we, we'll get to that in a second, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. I remember you got called out almost for an extra individual style interview. And I could sort of see the fear in your eyes of like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, they they called me the night before and told me that they wanted to do that. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm going to lose the power to speak. But it's just, you know, when you're in that situation, you just step up, don't you? You, you yeah. just somehow get through it. And compared to getting sober, I mean, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. So being on BBC Breakfast, it, it kind of makes me feel like, because I got sober, I can do anything. Yeah. Do you I feel think, like that? I, do you know what? That's so true, isn't it? And I say that to people all the time. It's it's one of those, it's such a sort of confidence boost. It's like, as well, you gain trust in yourself. I've been talking a lot about this lately. I don't know if you've experienced that, but you know, you start to re-trust yourself because I think you lose so much trust in yourself in your relationship with alcohol. You know, you don't show up when you're going to show up. You behave in ways that is not, you know, uh, expected or it's erratic you're not consistent in your career, in your relationships. So all that just chips away at this trust. And then I think you take a break from alcohol and you trust yourself again. And you're like, do you know what? I trust myself to show up and do the hard things to achieve stuff, if you know what Yeah, I mean. you have hit the nail on the head. And if I had to characterize, and this is actually um, a huge theme running through the new book, if I had to characterize the last four years sober, because I'm just about to turn eight, it would be that, it would be, learning to trust myself and feel safe in my own skin that I'm not gonna do something crazy again uh, so that's exactly right you you just regain that belief that you're not gonna f everything up again <laughs> which did which you like the way the I edited my swear <laughs> yeah that we didn't bleep that out by the way actually Catherine did that naturally that was like pretty <laughs> impressive saves a whole load of us bleeping it just bleep yourself actually next time make the little bleepy sound that would be even <laughs> okay i will do do a little bleep after the end of it but it's so true and this is where i think it's nice that, that we're hanging out together because we're sort of in the same place if you know what i mean so i'm seven and a half years rolling in to eight which is pretty much where you are we launched that first book together and I think probably because that was all the momentum that builds you need to spend a bit of time alcohol free you need to figure it out for yourself and then there's that sense of I just want to share this you know I've just got to like give this to someone somehow this sort of this joy that 
I'm feeling. And then there's this whole new section that starts to open up, you know, as you move into someone that just doesn't drink and why would you, it doesn't compute in my brain, but all the, the wonderful follow through of that and living a life without alcohol and, and all the joys that that bring. But before we get into that, let's just, let's wind it back just, and then we'll progressively come through. Cause I want to talk about the other books and then we'll get to um, sunshine one sober as well. But mm. for those that don't know you, I know many people will, what was the sort of the route into this place where you thought, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> um, well, I didn't really intend to. It was sort of accidental. But I found that when I was in very early day sobriety and also just before finding my day one, I was writing a lot and it just felt really therapeutic. I would literally sit down and just 4,000 words would come out of me like I was wow. turning on a tap. And I started posting some of those words to this online Facebook group that I was a part of. And at the time I was anonymous. I think I was something about Alice in Wonderland, some sort of pseudonym. Um, And then I gradually like inched out and started using my real Facebook. And, um, but it was still all very private in this group, but I got really, really good feedback and people kept saying, you should make this into a book. And then um, some of my friends read what I wrote and they said the same and they're writers so I trust them so I started putting it all together but still um, entirely intending to do it under a pseudonym I think I was going to use Chloe Green um, nice. and I just couldn't even imagine a world where I would publish it under my real name and yeah. s- step out like that and then by the time it came to actually publishing the book I was ready because I was uh, four years sober I think when um I said joy being sober came out yeah I was um so it I you you know what it's like when you first stop drinking it's almost like well for me especially in 2013 because it was a very different climate then I wanted to hide I didn't want anyone to notice that I wasn't yeah, drinking definitely. I wanted to shrink away into the wallpaper like a chameleon I didn't want to draw attention to myself I wanted to tell as few people as possible um some people I own told a partial truth to and then as time went on and I put together more months and then years I just became much bolder and also the shame fell away eventually and I started being really proud of what I'd done and feeling like I could do it um, out in the open and I'm guessing that's kind of similar to what you felt yeah and do you know what it is because the unexpected joy of being sober forget about quit lit it's just a brilliant book you know which uh-huh. I urge anyone to read it just is I love it you know it makes you laugh there's like tears that is warm it's inspirational it's aspirational and it's really raw at times Thank and you. I can imagine you know that cathartic process of writing that but then also the fear around this is properly my life, you know, in a book. And if anyone reads this from, you know, friends and family that might not quite have actually known what was really going on, yeah, they're going to get it in those pages. <laughs> and, and, I, and I can imagine the, the sort of fear around that. Or actually, I just want to come to something that you use in the book. And I've always tried to use this in my books and I haven't managed it yet. And it was bum-clenchingly, right? The way you hyphenate. <laughs> bum clenchingly in there on a few occasions I was like that's such a brilliant thing I need to get that into one of my books about motivation it just didn't quite fit but you know I can imagine you know that fear around you know sharing and being candid and being honest and I'm so glad you did and one thing as well I just want to pick up on which is unbelievably cool and I'm so glad I asked you that question is that you started by just sharing into a Facebook group you know, yeah. it wasn't this sort of literary wizard that had this massive contrived plan far from it. It was like, I'm going through this really painful experience. I'm just going to share into a group. And I've been, you know, members of Facebook groups for years. And we've seen some of the most brilliant people come through those groups exactly like that. And there'll be so many people going, you know, who's going to want to hear my story? Or I've got nothing to add. I don't have all of these things. But the truth is, like you just described there, you started by just sharing a couple of posts into a Facebook group. Yeah, and it was just coincidence that the book came out when sobriety just was like hitting a bit of a a, a trend wave. And, you know, as you know, it wasn't just our books that came out. There was a few that year. It, it was probably the, the month when the most sobriety books came out that I know of. 
because there, there was just a real wellness trend around people going sober and everyone was like, oh, well, you managed to hit that trend at the right time. And I was like, well, that was- <laughs> <laughs> wasn't planned. Again, no plan. Like I just, it just happened that way. Um, but I was a journalist before, so I, w- I was used to kind of writing, but I'd never written in that personal a way before or in such a raw way. So that was entirely new. Yeah, and you can clearly see that through your writing, which is which is brilliant. You know, again, just to, to touch on that, and I think that's why all the, the the subsequent books have been such a success. But equally, isn't it sort of beautiful in some ways that your biggest struggle, this thing, and for anyone that's read the book, will realise that it was really, really, you know, a major, major issue in your life at points, has actually turned out in many ways to be your greatest gift, and actually as as springboard and, and launched you into this fabulous, meaningful career as a writer yeah I think I love I mean I love irony and I love the irony in that that the absolute uh, nadir of my life which was um the the many many rock bottoms I experienced before getting sober have turned into the brightest thing in my life which was publishing that book and everything that has um happened since then so it just goes to show, you know, it's such a cliche when people say, oh, your worst times can become your best times, but they can. Um, and I really believe in the power of sharing. I think it's this alchemical process where you can turn black gritty episodes into gold. Um, so I would encourage everyone, even if they do so under a pseudonym, to find those groups and share because when you do so, it just has such um uh, it, it lifts a weight off you that's how I would describe it and you find others who feel exactly the same or experience similar things and that's such a gorgeous thing yeah and I must admit I, I love for the last seven years I've been a part of that you know whether it's through the work that I was doing at One Eno Beer until I stepped down from One Eno Beer and do my daily Facebook lives that I've been doing for seven years or being part of sort of sober or alcohol-free communities and seeing people share their stories and their struggles and their successes in those communities it's just it is a joyous thing it's tough it's like hard at times but you know when you see those one or two insights that seem to bubble up for someone that's resonated with a particular post or a particular struggle and it helps them overcome their biggest struggle I just think there's something really special about the whole community you know in the alcohol free space I think there's something so raw about it that all the fluff it feels like all the fluff has gone do you know what I mean you know like the social media fluff of hey I'm amazing I'm on like fabulous holidays all that's gone right there's yeah. no need for that let's get to the let's get to the nitty gritty what is this life <laughs> thing all about I'm struggling a bit I could do with some help actually I'm having these massive successes I'm going to celebrate it yeah. and then how have you found that actually because let's like wind the clock back when we first started this sort of seven eight years ago there wasn't a lot out there this whole sober thing wasn't a thing it was very much sort of that you know recovery type of environment as opposed to a bit more aspirational and inspirational you know going sober or alcohol free what are some of the changes that you've noticed over the last few years oh that's such a good question it has changed beyond recognition um do you know what I went to a party at the weekend or the weekend before and I was asked for the first time in I don't know how many years by two people who noticed that I was drinking a non-alcoholic drink. They didn't even, I, I just met them and we'd had no small talk whatsoever. And the first thing they both said to me was, you're not drinking, why is that? And I was like, whoa, I feel like I'm back in 2013. Yeah. It's so strange um, because that really doesn't tend to happen anymore. And I don't know whether it's because I live in Brighton and Brighton's really switched on in that regard um, or just that you know uh, people know that I'm sober in general or or what I actually think it is is a symptom of society really changing and people feeling like less entitled to give you this inquisition as to what's in your glass and why it's non-alcoholic which is so amazing and also I really love that I'm seeing I mean sometimes I get like 200 readers contacting me a week I get a lot of contact from readers which I love and so many of them thousands and thousands and thousands of them are getting sober without using any sort of label 
Mm. And it, I don't think it matters whether you do or you don't. I think it, it depends what works for you. I'm, I'm very much a whatever works kind of girl. But it just having that choice and, and that being freed up and it being seen as more of a positive thing than a denial thing and people just going sober and saying, I'm a teetotaler. And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Done. Yeah, and uh, I love that. It just is so um, warming to see that society is is changing towards sobriety and um, just not questioning it anymore as much as they used to. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It is beautiful. And you think back to again when we started, it was sort of Bex Blue, if yeah. you're lucky in terms of alcohol-free alternatives. And now, you know, they're stocked in every restaurant, in every bar, pretty much. I mean, put it this way, if I walked into a bar now and it didn't have an alcohol-free alternative, I'd be a bit like, come on, get, yeah. <laughs> get with the program, which is amazing, isn't it? And, yeah, you know, I think so- it's a symptom as well. I think it's also a sign that the alcohol industry is a bit scared because it seems like not even one week can go by without another alcohol-free alternative being launched. And I think that's because they can see that they're starting to lose their market. Like in London, a third of people don't drink. Um, a quarter of women don't drink and a fifth of men don't drink. And over lockdown, a lot of people drank more, but a lot of people quit as well. Yeah. Um, an alcohol change survey found that a fifth of people quit in the first lockdown. So I think what you're seeing is like a squeezing of either end of the scale. Um the last year has has pushed people's drinking so that it's even heavier because of all the anxiety and panic and the apocalyptic vibe, but also a lot of people quit. So I think next year is going to be really interesting. I think um, there'll be a huge upsurge in interest again in um, not drinking. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, it's so exciting, isn't it? Like it's exciting to be a part of something that feels like, you know, we're in the very early stages and it's just gathering all this wonderful momentum and it will continue to gather momentum. It's only ever going to go one way from here on in. And rightly so. It's not like, you know, this between the research and uh, we'll get into that in a minute, because I know your your book, actually your latest book and actually the original book as well. There's lots of of research and clips in there, which I think again, adds to the gravitas of, of the book, but it's just so exciting to sort of see it become accessible, being almost accepted to not drink and not having to question it. Alcohol-free alternatives pretty much everywhere. And a question actually that bubbled up while you were talking there. What is your view on the alcohol giants that now have alcohol-free alternatives? Uh, good question. I don't work with them. So if, if I was approached by, I mean, I don't do any sort of sponsorship anyway, really, but I, I may do in future, but I've been approached a lot by you know, um, not Seedlip, but the likes of Seedlip that are still produced by alcohol producers. And I don't work with them um, because I just I, I just think that's just pouring more money into the alcohol industry's pockets. And I've become a bit conspiracy theorist about it. I really disagree with their practices because um, um, when you start researching, it's hard not to. It's yeah. really dark what they do, the lengths they go to to hush up the health risks and um keep things from people so I um yeah I don't work with them but I do and it's really interesting did you notice around the um what was that football tournament (laughs) uh, Euros yeah the Euros as you can tell I'm a huge the one that we got into the final (laughs) one for the first time ever since like 1966 what was that again I did actually watch the final but I have no interest as you can tell anyway I was really interested in seeing that a lot of the footballers mainly the Muslim ones um were not uh, were taking the bottles of beer off the table even though there was zero alcohol beer I can't remember whether it was several of them or just a few but there was a real um uproar around that because people were like oh what's the problem you know it's zero up zero percent beer and I'm not against zero percent beer in any way But I do think it's interesting that the alcohol companies have started doing 0% in their sports marketing. And I think it's because they can tell the tide's turning and they're no longer going to be allowed to do that anymore. And that's their ready-made defense, but it's 0%. Um, So even if you're being marketed Heineken 0%, it's still Heineken that, you know, is being marketed to you. 
um, if you drink. So I think it, it is quite interesting, the tactics that they're using to dodge the inevitable. I totally, totally agree. I'm glad you said it. Yeah, exactly the same. You know, they are pouring billions into this stuff, right? They've got bright minds behind it. They are not silly. I think exactly that. And you're seeing it in sport. It's all the zero, zero stuff t- starting to come through because they know a shift's going to come very soon where they're going to be like, yeah. right, you're out unless you're zero, zero. But equally, what is the brand? It's Heineken, it's Heineken, it's Heineken. It looks exactly like a normal exactly. Heineken, except it's got zero, zero. So I yeah. am slightly torn because it's definitely, because they've got their marketing dollars behind it, it's speeding up the process. So I totally, so for that, I am thankful because the alcohol-free space doesn't have that spend, if you know what I mean, as in the pure alcohol-free space. So yeah. there is that, you know, James Bond ordering a zero zero which for me that sort of cultural icon that, yeah that's masculine. brilliant actually I love that you've made me think about that differently because actually from a consumer point of view if you're a football fan and um you were watching what's that football match again <laughs> I'm yeah, kidding the, the- <laughs> um, yeah so you probably felt then more emboldened to go to a bar afterwards with your buddies and and order a zero percent beer which is which is lovely but what I disagree with is the is the um, Machiavellian-ness behind it, if you see what I mean. Totally with you. And and I think, because I started to see that coming through in your book, if you know what I mean, I think that's what triggered that for me in the sense that there is the, the research that's into the book as well. And that sense that it's almost like that sort of cowspiracy type, you know, big smoking sort of behind the scenes that that does need, I think, further research and exposure and people to talk about and i think that's going to happen like all of these things i think because it's becoming so sort of mainstream now people are interested in it people are starting to see through these jumped up studies that suddenly say red wine's amazing for you and you know whiskey yeah. or whatever which is t- we all know is complete and absolute nonsense and it's just you know it's marketing spin and the consumers are demanding alcohol free i mean it's as simple as that they wouldn't be churning this stuff out you know at this level unless people were saying i want that you know that's something that i want available and i think that just demonstrates how far we've come there is still i mean we are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what needs to be done but still it's just really exciting i think to feel like we're a little part of something that you know is gathering momentum we're sort of the cool kids maybe for the first time ever in our existence certainly for me (laughs) it's like i don't drink you know, and I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the way it's all going. So on that note, we, we've spoken a little bit about your the first book. And again, I'd urge everyone to read that if you haven't, because it's, it's absolutely fabulous. So you find yourself in those like early days, I guess, still of sobriety, which launches this book, this wonderful book um, that's reached so many people and helped so many people. Then sort of what happens next? I'm interested in the bit in the middle between sort of then and your latest book. Oh, I didn't expect you to ask me that. Um, Well, I wrote more books. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote three more. Um, I'm a bit of a, yeah, I I like working uh, to my detriment sometimes and I love writing. So I uh, wrote a book about taking a year off dating because after discovering that I was definitely addicted to alcohol, I also discovered that I was definitely addicted to love. Um, and needed to spend a year on my own and um, also another big shift for me was starting a a nightly gratitude practice which was the um, third book and I expect to join the ordinary so yeah I just I just I don't know I've churned them out (laughs) threw yourself into the writing and, and you sort of become a bit of you know I guess these sober icon is that a is that a, I don't know if I just made that up but you know from oh. your Instagram and whatnot and, and and a lot of the work that you've done there which I've loved and then I guess it's probably been quite nice to have written the book but then also have that sort of touch point whether it's through social media or whatever it is like you said or through the emails to actually see oh, the sorry, benefits the there's the dog it's okay dog. it's okay he started getting territorial it's okay chill what, okay. what's the dog sorry going? go on um, Arlo Arlo, go on Arlo. Oh, I better not say Arlo in case. Did he give him a bone? Hang on a sec. Sorry. So yeah, social media and the touchstone you were saying. Yeah. And just as how have you found that, you know, that sense that obviously the books that you've written have actually really helped sort of people over the, the process of sobriety or just in general? Oh, I mean, that's been an, a totally unexpected bonus. I literally thought that maybe 30 of my friends and family were going to buy the first book and then in the first month I had 700 emails it was just 
wow. bonkers. Um, and it, it still sometimes is that kind of pace even now. And I hear the most amazing stories from people. And also they share things with me that people they've never told anyone, yeah. um, which is just such an honor um, to be trusted by people like that. So I, I love connecting with readers on social media, but I also have to be careful with it because yeah. it can devour so much of my time and I start like thinking in captions <laughs> and and if I'm doing it's an something, Instagram I'm like, moment yeah, yeah what's the point in doing this unless I do a story about it uh, and I think all of us could benefit from some time off from it because you've always become performative yeah. which is not healthy so I'm careful to take a few months off a year so that I uh, reset <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you and, and I'm a bit like that I must admit I've always wrestled with it because I just I'm not a big consumer of social media anyway I, you know I do my lives and whatnot deliberately because I don't want to spend all day on it because I know I'm like I could spend all day and then exactly that in my mind is thinking oh this could be an Instagram photo and I'm like yeah. that's just rubbish I just don't yeah. want to like go around life thinking hold on a minute pause there I'm just going to frame this up this could be this is insta gold do you know what I mean yeah I'm like, I'm and, and like wondering that. why, wondering why something hasn't got many likes, and being like, "Oh no, I failed." Yeah, I got that um, wrong. I don't care about that, <laughs> or, or even thinking, "Oh, that was a brilliant moment. I should have made that an Insta post or a story." I'm like, that's just rubbish. <laughs> well, put it this way: I came off on one of my usual sabbaticals two weeks ago, and since then, my um, screen time has halved. It's gone from four hours to two hours. And my word count has doubled. Yeah, I mean, it's... So, <laughs> that it, says it all, doesn't it? It does say it all. I've got one of those little yellow Nokias, and every and I sort of go to it every now and again. I just, like, I've had enough, and I literally just get rid of the phone. And um, I just find life, it's just a bit easier and, and, yeah. and way more productive. You know, I actually start talking to people in, like, lifts and stuff. Like, when does that ever happen? Do you know what I mean? Everyone's <laughs> got their heads down normally. I'm sure I'm freaking everyone out with my little yellow Nokia. They probably think I'm some sort of <laughs> drug dealer of some sort with a little burner phone running around. But like, I love it. And it gives me that like nice clarity. And then I just do my lives and I'm out. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I'm going to this retreat next week, which is this little log cabin. And they literally are going to take my phone off me and lock it away. They're going to take it away. And they're going to give me a Nokia and say, if you need any emergency numbers, then put them in here and leave me there for 72 hours. And I can't wait. Oh, can you? Well, when this is finished, <laughs> send me the details of that. That is a bit of me. I'm all yeah. over that. Because I've looked at, I've done a bit of silent retreat and there's a retreat actually that I was thinking of going, it could end up being the same thing. It was a similar sort of idea. And I just quite like, I quite like the idea of that. I like to be left at times. And I think, you know, you're, along those introverted lines like myself yeah. and like to write and think through words uh, so we're comfortable in our own skin and being alone I certainly am anyway and uh, it's quite nice to nurture that at times in fact I'm actually going to Tenerife this is my excuse to write my next book so I just take myself off there for a week so oh, as nice. I, I tell my lovely wife Tara but she's cottoned on she's like right I want a word count next time I go because she thinks I'm just going oh, I'm right old jolly she's like right word count Right, I want to see. <laughs> I want to see the words. I want to track what you're doing. You better not have a tan. <laughs> exactly. You're just in your speedos, drinking like alcohol-free pina coladas around the pool, doing no work. I want to know about it. That sounds like a great scam. I need to get onto that. I know. I'm telling you, it's it's, it's working. I hope Tara's not listening to this, but it's worked up until now. Perfectly. <laughs> I've got a couple of books out of it. But talking to books, I'm a bit conscious of time as well. Let's talk about the latest book, Sunshine, Warm, Sober. I don't know if you want to just give us the quick you know, sort of overview of the book. Yeah, sure. So it's, um, the, the title sounds a bit like twee, but it's it's a repost to stone cold sober. So I just inverted it in the first book. And in the first book, it was just a skimmed over in one sentence. And lots of people liked it and used it as a hashtag from then on. So I just thought it's a bit of a shoe in as a title for the next book. Um, and it's about because um, when I published Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, I was four years sober. And obviously now I'm um, just about to turn eight. And I have written about the last four years when I really thought that I'd learned everything I was going to learn in the first four years. But that was nonsense. <laughs> um, there's been so much deeper work in the past four years, um, which on things that have 
have on the surface of it nothing to do with alcohol, mm. and yet they do in a twisty, turny kind of way. Um, things like digging into my childhood, which I wasn't ready to do in the first four years, and that. So um, I don't know whether you you know this, but the absolute chart-topping predisposition to a later addiction is not, as most people would think, like genetics or early pickup, although they do make you four and five times more likely. Um, but it is having lots of traumatic episodes or, or actually just you know a few traumatic episodes in your childhood. And so that really sets up almost like the, the perfect conditions for a later addiction to grow, especially if you pick up early, which I did. I picked up at 12. So it, so I dig into all of that. I also look into a lot of the um, link between the wellness industry and alcohol because they, those two have become paired yeah. <laughs> in recent years, whereas yeah. they weren't when I wrote the first book and just why that's going on. I mean, it basically boils down to money, but I really dig into all of that and, um, you know, all these ludicrous yoga with beer and you know having a prosecco after a weightlifting class and things like that um and just how the alcohol industry is marketing to that consumer now because again they're scared and also they know that a third of 16 to 24 year olds now don't drink so they're like mm, we need to get in with the health conscious like early generation and and make sure they're drinking <laughs> And we're going to do that by pairing up with gyms. Um, and also I look at things like setting boundaries, asking for what you need in relationships, all sorts of things that I, I didn't anticipate I was going to learn about, but have been my work of the past four years. I love it. And, and I must admit, the book just speaks to me because we're sort of at identical stages pretty much. And there is that sort of shift, isn't there, in that second half of not drinking or whatever you want to call it, sobriety, where you do get a chance to do the sort of deeper work or the more meaningful work in your life in general. And I think like yeah. you touched on earlier about that trust thing. I think confidence comes back as well. I think that for me is has been one of the greatest gifts of the longer alcohol-free journeys, that lovely confidence that comes Definitely. back. Definitely. I don't know if you've experienced that yourself. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, as you witnessed I was such an anxious bear even when I was four years sober yeah. about things like public speaking and now um it, it still makes me nervous but it doesn't faze me anywhere near as much I recently did a stage show in front of 380 people wow. and honestly I was fine yeah. uh, you know I, I you wouldn't have seen that petrified girl that you saw backstage at the BBC um you would have seen somebody who with her her sh bleep t together yeah <laughs> um, on the surface at least i mean you know definitely nervous inside because it's natural and normal to be nervous when stepping into a situation like that um but yeah I, the social anxiety has just receded to a, a level that i never thought possible yeah and i think that's the thing it's a longer term thing to retrain isn't it we have to almost because like you started drinking at 12 i started drinking at 13 same sort yeah. of gig and you basically i think you rob yourself of the opportunity to train those skills yeah to learn those things naturally without alcohol yeah exactly you just balls those through it so then from that young age for me every time i was a bit socially anxious it became about right can we get some alcohol involved or you know where's the alcohol going to be and then you know, from that young age, every year that passes, you get closer to an age that you can just drink without anyone even caring if you're drinking, which doesn't mm. take that long. So you suddenly find that pretty much the whole of your teens, you've missed that real development mental stage when your brain's clearly uh, still growing and you've just bulldozed it with this thing that's alcohol. So it does take a long time to to retrain and, and you know and I think that's an important message as well that the whole alcohol free thing it is glorious it's wonderful you know it gives you so many benefits and they keep coming long term mm. as well it's not that sort of instant six week hit it's the six years you know it's the 10 years when you're still picking up momentum yeah from having the courage to stop yeah and seeing the benefits yeah and when when you strip that back like what you just touched on that that we often start drinking as teenagers i mean it's just if 
well, from from amongst my friends, it was very normal to start drinking at 13, 14. I was pretty early at 12. But when you actually strip that back and think about how that process works, we often even give teenagers who are underage alcohol at a party to teach them to drink, in air quotes. Um, and we're giving them alcohol at a stage when their hormones are exploding. They don't feel right in their own skin it's just like a natural that that turbulence of adolescence and we literally give them a substance that offers them an escape to that and then we wonder why they become you know hooked on it 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 just now that I've sort of detached from that societal norm I can see how berserk it is it just it just seems so weird to me that we do that and yeah I've done it I've given teenagers at parties alcohol I've snuck them drinks (laughs) Um, and we continue to pass it down. It's, um, it's so strange. Yeah. And I think this is the big change that's starting and it's, it's a slow burner, this one, but I think that realization of what on earth are we doing or what on earth were we doing? This is completely bananas, you know? And that I think is when you think about our children, then I think it really, it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? I think that bites and, and I've got two teenage girls. So one is 15 going on 16, one is 13. So they're right in that space where, where I was. I mean, I don't know. They could be drinking at the moment. I, I genuinely don't think they are. They could be, right? There's, you know, all I can do in my mind is show up and, and show them a different way. But equally, yeah. like I will never be giving them alcohol and going, hey, just have a little drink here before you're 18 or whatever. No way. Not in a million years are I ever doing that. And, 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 I, and I, I won't want anyone, i.e. family or friends to do the same because why on earth would we like what yeah. like, when you know what we know and that's the thing because we're you know we're well out the other side of this so you know it is easy for us to look back in because I think the brainwashing culturally and societally for most people is such that they can't they can't see it when you're in it you can't see it I think uh, Matt Pink talks about this like being inside the jar you just can't see the label if you know what I mean it's yeah. not until till you get outside and you go what on earth are we doing and I think in truth that's what I love about your book. I think it's really important about the, the momentum that your book's starting to build now. It's actually starting to sort of ask some of those big questions of, you know, the big alcohol companies. It's starting to sort of put the record straight a little bit and going, hold on, look at some of this research, as well as telling a lovely story and reflecting on many other things that are important in, in your uh, sort of journey of sobriety. That's what I like. I can feel that gathering. And I think even from a personal note, I've got a feeling, that's why I'm drawn to the book as well, I'm going to spend a lot of my time in these coming years really trying to be quite vocal about the sort of this this brainwashing that's gone on this like nonsense this behavior that has just been so culturally accepted that actually we're like doing ourselves such a disservice on an individual level to our children and to like you know our society yeah and just the also on a governmental level the, the corruption that still is at work um so something that I didn't even realize until after I'd released Unexpected Joy Being Sober was that drink aware, um, which a lot of people, including me, thinks is run, they think it's run by the NHS or some sort of, you know, health service. It's actually funded by the alcohol industry of its own admission. It's fully there on their website. And yet on bottles of alcohol, we're told to go to drink aware at the fact for the facts. And they have been hauled up so many times for not quite reporting the facts. Um, like there was a Guardian piece about how their um, their section on women drinking while pregnant was very vague and did not give the right advice. And it's just absolutely crazy to me that it would be like... Um, picking up a soft drink and seeing go to sugar aware for the facts and finding out that the actual producers of the soft drink funded sugar aware. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's mad to me that that is allowed to go on and people don't know who's driving drink aware. Um, So yeah, the the book definitely lifts the lid on all sorts of things like that, but there's also lots and lots of diary entries because I think people like those personal stories um, of stories that I didn't tell in the unexpected joy being sober because I just didn't have room, um, you know, of, um, for all of sober them. versus drinking diaries. And those were really fun to write and also quite um, 
yeah, cathartic to write because some of those episodes I hadn't dove back into yet. Yeah, and I must admit, that's what I like about the book. It's sort of quite hard hitting. It lifts the lid. There's research in there. And then you've got those sort of diary entries, like you said, which is you at your best. Like you write those so beautifully. Like, again, they're sort of, they can be really hard hitting, but they equally sort of laugh out loud, funny, lots of hyphenated words in there, which always, again, back to my favourite bum. Not as many hyphens me. in this book, though. No, it's not as many hyphens <laughs> in this one. But I've got to say, I loved it. And, and do you know what? I've got a feeling that, We'll end up doing lots of things together over the coming years. I think, you know, we're in the same sort of part of our, you know, alcohol-free journey. And also I think we're starting to, to, to feel the same and think the same about this thing. Yeah, I think we've got a similar vibe as well that we are not. Um, I think there's some some people in the, alcohol, in the sober sphere who are very much, this is the right way, that's the wrong way, whether they're on one side of the fence or whatever. And I don't feel like that. And I, I get the vibe you don't either. I just think everyone should do it the way that works for them, but the key is choice. Um, and I also don't think the answer is becoming really anti-drinker. Even though I'm very anti-alcohol industry, I'm not remotely anti-drinker. I understand why people drink. I did it for 21 years um, and I still hang out with drinkers. You know, it's, it's not about um, saying, oh, you're doing it wrong, we're doing it right. It's, it's about looking at this social structure around alcohol that we've all been plugged into from such an early age and dismantling it bit by bit. Yeah, so this is the bit, this is the perfect bit. And the bit that pisses me off, I didn't even bleep myself out there, <laughs> is, that, is that actually I don't mind if people make a decision based on the facts, if you know what I mean. Like smoking, right? Everyone knows now smoking's not good for you. If someone chooses to smoke, good on them. That's totally their choice. But they understand the risks. Yeah. With alcohol, most people still haven't got a clue. And I think that's really unfair. And I think that's the bit that you're getting to. And that frustrates me and annoys me that actually there's all of this like clever marketing, there's masking of results, there's positioning, there's the cultural sort of, again, um, almost uh, psychological way that, you know, uh, alcohol is ingrained in their life. And then people just get confused. So they just put their hands up and do what they've always done. So I think, yeah, that mission would be great over the next five, 10 years. So the people know. And then exactly that. It's not anti-drinker. If you choose to drink, good on you. But at least yeah. you know yeah, you as know. to why. Exactly. And I mean, there was another thing in, in the book where there was this study, and this wasn't very long ago. This was a few years ago that got um, completely cancelled in the States because it was a $100 million study and the New York Times, I think it was, some, something of that ilk, found out that it was being funded by the alcohol industry. And essentially what this study was going to say was that moderate drinking is good for your health. <laughs> and it, and the, the researchers had gone cap in hand to the alcohol industry saying we need some money and had managed to rustle up 100 million. And I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that that study would have been biased towards um, drinking as a positive health thing which just, it just so obviously isn't and thankfully it got completely rumbled and it got cancelled but if it hadn't have done then millions of Americans wouldn't have would have been given a skewed distorted view of alcohol and just the, the things that go on behind closed doors in governments and, and parliaments and all around the world are just shocking to me and they, they need to be stopped but yeah, on a, on a personal level as well, it's just um, so lovely that this is gathering momentum. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. And this is just the start. We are at the tip, the vanguard of something super cool. And, and just before we wrap up, something also you touched on there, you know, and I totally believe in, I just want more people out there sharing their message, sharing their story, hosting podcasts, writing books to appeal to every niche and every genre. You know, in my you know eyes, Everyone in the alcohol-free space, sober space is a total hero. Anyone's got yeah. the courage to be out there in some shape or form and share their story. It doesn't matter what route or how they do it, just that we keep inspiring people. And I just wanted to thank you just before we wrap it up for being that person to, to have the courage to like write that first book took a ton of bloody courage right there. Because anyone's read it and should read it. If you haven't, you'll know what I mean. But that book alone, imagine the the hundreds of thousands millions of people your books inspired plus all your follow-on books plus this book plus all the people then that that's inspired to go out there and share their story and that's why like we're creating this wave of 
alcohol-free goodness and you're right at the heart of it so thank you oh that's really kind thank you and right back at you and you've just said something which is so true which is that um everyone who steps out and says hey i'm not drinking and i like it better this way even if you've got 17 followers you will touch someone with that and turn a cog in their head and that is such an important cog in their head um so even if if people have like a smaller pool of influence and feel like that won't make a difference it does it really does and anyone who does that should be applauded yeah i I totally agree and like you started out with just a post into a facebook group how cool is that i just think that's really inspirational (laughs) Catherine. you're an absolute superstar we will do this again soon we'll catch up in person uh, again soon thank you so much for spending some time with me today thanks for having me you're a star. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please check out the shorter episodes, which are clips from my daily live show, The Fun Side of the Island with Andy Ramage, that you can join every day at 7.15am BST by following at Andy Ramage Official on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube, search for Andy Ramage. Also, for the first time ever, I'm now training double accredited coaches in my unique coaching blueprint. Go to andyramage.com and check out courses for more information. And if you'd like to train with me on my latest online live course, The Arate Way, also head to andyramage.com courses. I'll make no secret of it. I would love to train with you, so let's make it happen. And I thank you for listening. It's deeply appreciated. The best thing you can do to show some love to the podcast is to click subscribe or follow. And don't forget the sponsors, Athletic Greens, who are giving our listeners a free year supply. Yes, free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today when you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and sign up. And I love it most of all when you share the episode you enjoy on social media. You can just take a screenshot as you listen and then put it out and tag me in at Andy Ramage Official on Facebook and Insta. You're amazing. Finally, you can sign up to my free newsletter where I share exclusive posts along with things I'm enjoying such as podcasts, books, quotes, TED Talks and much more. And many of you message to say this is your favourite thing that I produce. So please check it out by going to andyramage.com and there is an option to sign up at the footer of every page. As always, a massive thank you to Matt McCormick for producing the podcast and thank you to Austin Sweetman for your digital promotions. You can find me on team at andyramage.com, at andyramageofficial on Insta and Facebook and Andy Ramage on YouTube. See you back here soon for another episode. Let's do this. <laughs>